we've been talking about these um, chains of bondage, and specifically about what 2 Corinthians 10 refers to as fortresses in my New American Standard. In most of the other translations, they take that Greek word and they call it a stronghold. Same thing. It's a, it's a place where we're bound, a place where we're imprisoned literally by deception and lies in our own minds. God wants all of those things broken, every one of those fortresses or strongholds torn down so that we can be everything that he's called us to be, so that we can have everything that he's given us to have, and so that we can be attractive to the world. If you wonder uh, what a stronghold might look like, think of any irrational part of your life, um, irrational anger, um, irrational emotions, things that come out that are negative, that that don't make any sense to you when they happen. I've, I've had it happen. It seems like the place it happens the most is in my marriage, in my relationship with my wife. If there's a place where the devil wants to build walls in my mind and hers, it's, it's in our relationship with each other because if he can separate us, then it's easy for him to work on our children. And it just makes what he's trying to do so much easier. And sometimes Teresa will say something that's nothing. There's nothing bad about what she said and something will stir up inside of me and I'm praying, like, Lord, where in the world did that come from? Well, it, it's, it's come from a place in my mind that was manufactured probably through a pain, uh, some insecurity, some fear, certainly from areas where my identity isn't in the Lord, where I've been lied to, and I, and I see myself differently than how the Bible teaches me that I am. Those are fortholds. Fortholds. <laughs> That'll be the new word. Strongholds and fortresses. Fortholds. Strongresses. <laughs> but that's what I'm talking about when I say fortresses and strongholds. For the context of this conversation, you remember... Um, well, I'll get there in just a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Uh, we've been talking about this for a number of weeks now. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So fortresses, speculations, and lofty things. Any, any, any thought pattern in our mind that would stand untrue to a right knowledge of God. Remember we did the little exercise where, where Jesus stood up here in a white t-shirt and then we had thoughts and stood him next to Jesus. And if that thought had a white t-shirt on, it, it was allowed to stay in our mind because the fruit from a thought that's consistent with a, with a true knowledge of Christ is only going to produce good fruit in our lives. And then other thoughts came up and stood next to Jesus and they didn't have the white t-shirt on. Those thoughts had to go now. Because if we allow them in our minds, and the time they come is when we're angry, is when we're hurt, it's when the devil's looking for an opportunity to start to lay some brick and mortar and start to build up this fortress in our mind. And remember we said that it was tough because every thought that looked like Jesus had a white t-shirt on, but the thoughts that didn't look like Jesus might have on a red shirt or a blue shirt or a, a plaid shirt or, or who knows what kind of shirt, how in the world am I going to know what every lie looks like? And the answer is you don't have to. You only got to know what the truth looks like. Amen. Amen. Stand your thoughts next to Jesus. Every thought 
captive to the truth, to the obedience of what Jesus would say, of who Jesus is. And if it looks like Jesus, if it passes that test, it gets to stay. But if it doesn't, it's got to go. And if it stays for any period of time, there's somebody trying to build a fortress in your mind. I think to some extent, remember when we talked about uh, spiritual warfare being this battle between truth and lies, that every time we lose a spiritual battle in that context is, is, is where the beginning of a fortress starts in our minds. Fortresses could literally be called idols in our minds because we would raise them up above Christ and the true knowledge of Christ. I mean, if you want to really, like, yuck picture of a fortress it's an idol that's up in your mind that stands opposed to the truth of christ fortresses cause us to be prisoners in bondage to deception and untruth remember the the picture in the story about the big elephant and the little chain and the little stake in the ground that when that elephant was little that chain and that stake was enough to hold that elephant from from going it imprisoned him to a certain space and when he gets older, he could break the chain in a heartbeat. And he could jerk the stake out of the ground without hardly even expending any effort. But he doesn't. The truth exists. The truth is that he is not bound. He is not imprisoned by that little chain that's around his ankle. But the fortress in his mind tells him that he is. And what happens is he stays bound. It's so cool to me that when I'm asking the Lord to help me, I mean, literally, you know, I mean, I've been... This thing has been going on for weeks. And every time I think I know the answer, it never seems to be the answer in the context of the question, the question being the weapons of our warfare that are mighty, that are divine in nature for the tearing down of these strongholds. And then, I don't know, how old is Caleb? Ten? Not Ten-year-old kid starts to whisper in my ear about being in prison and having this key that's faith that gets us out of prison. And I don't know, I'll have to be anointed if that's the total answer because I don't have it in anywhere in my notes. But it has to be part of the answer because I believe it came from heaven this morning for us all. They come when we get hurt. They come, we, we do them to protect ourselves. Um, and we do them. It's important to understand that a fortress only gets built because we've come into agreement with something. When we come into agreement with the truth, we empower the truth to work in our lives. When we come in agreement with a lie or the enemy, we empower that force to have work in our lives. If you think about being jealous of someone or, or, or having bitterness in your heart and the, the kind of fruit that that produces, it only happens because we chose it. Or anger is a good one. You know, when we get angry, it's not because someone made it. You know, so-and-so makes me so mad. It's like, no. So-and-so does things, and I choose to get mad. I get angry because I choose to be angry. And in that choice, I create a process that's starting to happen that's not good. How do we get free? I think the answer is in, the, in those scriptures. By exercising the weapons of our warfare, by taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and by exposing, acknowledging, and casting down the lies that are at the foundation of the fortress that's been built. Until the lie is exposed, until we acknowledge the lie, and I'm telling you what, um, Teresa and I have been battling this stuff. I, I, I've talked a little bit about it. I, someday maybe we'll have the courage to just stand up and tell you all the junk that's been going on as the Lord is exposing stuff in our hearts that's really been um, a major battle to deal with. But it's been glorious because 
Every time we've stood in truth, we've been able to look backwards and see what the devil had done and the lies that he was telling. But it hasn't been easy. It's almost like sometimes we embrace this junk like it's something we want. It's amazing that we can get so comfortable with feelings that aren't good feelings that we'll actually we'll, we'll hold on to them with all of our strength when if we would let them go, we could get loose and out of that prison cell that they've been holding us in. Exposing, acknowledging, casting down the lies. Okay, so I've known that this conversation was coming for weeks. Um, 2 Corinthians 10, those scriptures about fortresses and about taking every thought captive. The Lord has taught me so much in that area that I exercise in my own walk, in my own daily life, and it's brought so much freedom and so much power over the enemy. I thought I knew the answer. As I'm studying this thing out, I'm like, well, the answer to the weapons of our warfare is Ephesians 6. It's the armor of God. It has to be. There's no other place where he speaks in the same terms. And the Second Corinthian scriptures are interesting because as I've been studying them, and I've read them a thousand times to try to understand what's the answer, what are the weapons of our warfare, it turns out it's just like, it's a Dory moment almost for Paul. Um, Dory being the little blue fish in the movie, right, you know? Can't keep a thought for more than a second. That's probably not the best analogy to use for Paul when he's writing scripture. <laughs> but the context, the context of that whole discourse is that the Corinthian church had been kind of infiltrated by these false apostles, these, these people that had commended themselves as apostles, and their teaching wasn't the same teaching that the church had gotten in its establishment when Paul was there. And they're now questioning Paul, and they're saying things like, you know, when, when you're here, you're so meek and mild, you know, you're wimpy, but when you write your letters, you're so strong. And so Paul is actually kind of restating his resume, and he's, he's restating why it is that his authority is apostolic. And if their words are not consistent with the words that he's spoken, that they're false apostles. And they have to be conscious that these people are trying to lead them astray. And in the process of trying to establish that conversation, he says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but divine in nature and powerful for the pulling down of strongholds, that we should take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And he, and he just says that, and then he goes on. And he doesn't talk anymore about it because it's part, it's a, it's a part that he's using to make a bigger point, but it's such a huge point in Scripture about how we need to walk that, I don't know, the Scripture in Proverbs that says it, it's, the, to the, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and it's the glory or honor of a king to search it out. Maybe that's why he did that because I've spent so much time searching it out that I've learned a lot Except I'm not positive I got the answer to the question I started out to get answered. I thought it was in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. Let me just move on. Finally, be strong. Now, let me just give you some more context. This is the last chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, right? So he's told them all these things that they needed to know. He's talked about just all kinds of cool stuff. And now he's closing the letter. So he's starting this. This is the discourse. The last thing he's saying to the church at Ephesus in this particular letter he starts out with, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So just stop again in case you weren't here before. He says it in Second Corinthians 10. 
he says it again in Ephesians chapter 6, that we don't battle with each other. If you're having a battle with a person, and you could see in the spirit, what you're seeing is a battle against a puppet. And the real battle is against the, the puppet person that's pulling the strings and inserting the thoughts and trying to motivate that person to a place where there can be separation. Right? The body is to be like this, the body of Christ, with Jesus as the head. Not like this or like this or like this. And anything that the devil can do to create separation in the body weakens the body. Right? So he's saying that, listen, quit putting all of your energy against a person. It's the, it's the spirit behind that person that you need to deal with. It's the spirit behind you that you need to deal with as you're in this conflict with this other person. It's demonic, is what he's saying. And all these different... Labels he uses are categories of the demonic. It's in the heavenly realms that that battle is being fought. The first heaven is here with us. The second heaven is the spirit where the demons roam around. And the third heaven is the heaven where God resides, his heaven right now. Okay? Okay, moving on. <sighs> Got to remember to breathe. Therefore... Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So, just a couple things. We see all these implements of armor that, that Paul uses as, as, I don't know, metaphors or analogies. I'm, I'm never sure what the right word is. But, you know, a helmet and a breastplate and a shield and a belt and uh, sandals or shoes, uh, a sword that we would have as an offensive weapon. He talks about the shield of faith uh, as being able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Flaming arrows, in some, in some translations, uh, it's flaming darts or flaming arrows, are thoughts. The way that, that we are attacked, the battle is in between our ears. It's in our mind. It's for control of the mind. Remember the tug of war that we showed kind of graphically up on the screens about the, the first battle was Jesus against Satan, and Jesus defeated Satan. But the, the rest of the war continues because now it's the souls of men and ladies that, that Jesus and the enemy, the devil, are contending for. Right, And the, the, the contention happens in our minds. So if we have a weak shield of faith in this particular picture that he's painting, the flaming arrows get past our shield and they get into our mind and that's where these fortresses get established. So understand that, that the weapon of the enemy is the flaming arrow that would get into our mind and create a place where we would raise something up against the true knowledge of God. Paul uses um, similar pictures elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 6. And seven, and I'm showing you this because I want you to see, I think, that the particular implements aren't the issue. Because we had the breastplate of righteousness, right? Um, now let me just read. In the word of truth, and man, it's so weird to take this one out of context, but you'll see where I'm going. In the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness, for the right hand and the left. Well, you wouldn't wear your breastplate in your right hand or your left, right? He's using righteousness as an example again, as a weapon, but not as a breastplate. In First Thessalon- Thessalonians 5, 8. But since we are of the day, let us be sober. 
having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. See, the literal weapons are kind of important, and they're not. They're important in their arrangement, the way that, that, that he shows us how they're on. He doesn't, he doesn't put us in the clamshell of righteousness. He puts us in the breastplate of righteousness. Everything that we have as the armor of God is forward-facing. In, in the context of the scriptures, he talks about once you've armed yourself with all these things to stand in that evil day and stand firm because you have what you need to stand against the wiles of the enemy. It's also important in that it's complete. There isn't anything more we need than this particular armor to be able to stand. So when you think of the implements of the armor, a breastplate or shoes or a helmet or a shield, think in terms of forward-facing. We don't retreat. We march forward. And think in terms of completeness. The place where I don't think it's so critical is actually assigning righteousness to a breastplate or faith to a shield or a helmet because Paul uses them, uses them different in the ways he's trying to describe these things. I think then that the armor is truth. The armor is righteousness. The armor is peace, the preparation of the gospel of peace. The armor is faith, salvation. And the armor is the word of God, the, the weapons that we have. Those are the things, not necessarily where each individual one would be placed. Romans 12, or 13, 12 through 14 reads, The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing or not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. I think what the Lord is trying to teach us is that when we walk in righteousness, we're protected in that particular area. When we maintain faith, we're protected in that particular area. That, that we're to walk in these ways that he's describing and using armor as a picture. Um, righteousness was one that, as I was studying it, um, I've always thought of righteousness as being in right standing with God. And, and that is a definition of righteousness. But I saw a very interesting de- definition in a Bible dictionary that said that, that righteousness could be defined as holding up your end of the covenant that you have with someone. So relative to a relationship with God, he, he has made covenant with you if you've confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. You then have an, uh, an obligation to hold up your end of the bargain. Your end of the bargain is what? To believe in his name, to serve him as Lord. And, and in doing that, you are righteous. So not so much that you care that it's a, a shield or a helmet, but that you understand that faith, is required to be protected, that righteousness is required to be protected, that the gospel of peace is required to be protected, that your understanding that you're walking in the truth of your salvation is to be protected, that your knowledge of the truth protects you because it's what you stand those other thoughts up against when the flaming arrows come. You can kind of see it in John 14 and 30. Jesus says, I will not speak much with you, much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Why does he have nothing in Jesus? Because Jesus only walked in the light. He made no opportunity. He opened no door for the enemy to have a hook in him. 
because he walked only in righteousness. He had absolute perfect faith. He understood the gospel of peace. All these things that he did, I almost want to say things that he was, caused him to have this place of standing where the devil had nothing in him. When somebody does something that hurts us and we hold bitterness in our hearts, we create an opportunity for the devil, right? Jesus didn't have any of those. So you kind of see that, that walking in the light, I don't have this in my notes, but if you remember from our reading this week, we're reading First John, and, and the scripture says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. And, and, and the one another is not you and me, it's you and me and God. So fellowship with God comes from walking in the light. And when we're in fellowship with God, we're not in fellowship with the enemy. Right, James? Well, I'm really working from memory now. James says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. God says that you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and wealth. Right? Because you're only going to walk in one way or the other. You're going to walk in the light or you're going to walk in the darkness. And when we walk in the light, as Jesus is in the light, Satan has nothing in us because he had nothing in Jesus and he demonstrated that for us. So I'm not sure other than the belt of truth. I can see the belt of truth as an implement of the weapons that might have been referenced in 2 Corinthians 10, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly. They're divine and powerful for the tearing down of strongholds. I think the belt of truth fits that because the truth is, <laughs> that's, is, isn't the lie. <laughs> the truth is what we have to have to measure the lie against. And the sword, I think it boils down to truth and lies. I think that our equipment is really in the Word of God, and in the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is perfect. It, it has no flaw in its ability to separate and to judge. So if you know God's Word then you have the power to cast down the fortresses and the strongholds because his word is, is like this sword that cuts through, right? The, the sword of the spirit is God's word. It's our only offensive weapon. It's, it's how we take ground because all the devil has to work with are what? Lies and deception. Lies and deception. He has no power. He has no authority. He couldn't take authority over Jesus. When we talk in a few weeks about identity, which I think is the foundational issue of all of this, is when he said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, Jesus responded with the sword. He always responded with the sword, but if you don't have a sword, then you don't have any way to respond. God's word is one. The other is the Holy Spirit. John fifteen twenty six says, when the helper comes, the helper, the... I won't try to say the Greek word. I won't say it right. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, me being Jesus in this case. John sixteen thirteen. but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. The keys are God's word, 
and having the Holy Spirit. If, if we haven't developed a relationship with God's word, then we're susceptible, right? Mankind created a little below the angels, right? And we saw from Ephesians 6, powers and principalities and authorities, that there's this, this hierarchy of angels. So whoever's the sorriest angel in Satan's demon army is a little, at least a little above men, right? Now, I'm probably not the dumbest guy that ever lived, but I, I don't think that I'm at the very top of smart guys. So maybe I'm in the middle or somewhere like that. Even if I'm the smartest guy ever, I, I, I'm not a good match for the lowest angel. Without help. Think of the highest angel, Satan. Literally, the highest angel even before he was a bad guy. He was created the most beautiful, maybe the most anointed, just, just way above. And he's the, he's the guy that's calling the shots. We got nothing. If we think that, that our ability to discern lies is better than his ability to lie, we're messed up. It's not. But our ability to know the truth, if we will know the truth, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who will lead us into all truth, to discern the truth, to know the lie, no match. Because no created being is Satan is, is amazingly gifted as he was created, is a created being. You and I are created beings. You can't measure the, the, the comparison between God the creator and a created being by like twice as good or 200 times as good or 2,000. It's infinitely better. God is infinitely higher than anything that he's created. So to think that God might ever be flummoxed by the devil isn't going to happen. But we know that we are flummoxed by the devil. We know that from our own experience that he's gotten past our defenses and we've believed a lie and it's not truth by issues we have in relationships. Good example. So the answer to 2 Corinthians 10, the best I got it for you, is that the weapons of our warfare that are divine in nature is the knowledge of the truth inspired by the Spirit of God that we would know the truth and be led into all truth as, as he is led by the mind of God because no one knows the mind of God but the Spirit of God. He is perfectly connected to the mind of God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, inside of you and me, if you have the Holy Spirit, that you might take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and cast down every vain imagination that would stand itself above a true knowledge of God. That, I think, is the answer. The prayer then becomes, well, the first thing that becomes is the commitment to know the truth and to have relationship with the Holy Spirit. The fact that, that truth exists doesn't buy you anything. There are people that die every day and go and live in hell for eternity, not because truth doesn't exist, but because they either chose not to acknowledge truth or they didn't know truth, which led to their demise. So the existence of truth is not the answer. It's knowing the truth that's the answer. The existence of the Holy Spirit is not the answer. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit that's the answer. So today... I would say, if there's anybody that isn't certain that you have the Holy Spirit, 
then today is the day that you ought to get to have the Holy Spirit. And, and let me just tell you, you're going to think this is goofy. I hope this doesn't make you want to go to another church, but I got saved two weeks ago and six months ago and two years ago and five years ago because I am a guy who works out his salvation with fear and trembling. And, and whenever I confront something that makes me wonder, I just make sure that I'm saved. I sat down in my prayer chair, and I had been hearing these stories. And I don't even know if this is a good reason to get saved again and again and again, but it was enough to stir me of, of these radical salvation experiences and, and of these people who said, man, when I got saved, oh, my gosh, it was like, it was like foggy eyes got clear and, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, Lord, I didn't have that. I don't want to be deceived. I'm honestly pretty sure I was saved. I mean, like, pretty sure. Well, only God knows, right? I mean, the heart is deceitful more than anything else. So the cool thing is I know what it takes to be saved. And I sat down and walked myself right through the process. Jesus, I'm telling you right now that I am confessing you as Lord of my life. And I am choosing to submit my will to your will. That if you say turn left and I want to go right, I'm turning left. That if if you say eat celery and I want to eat ice cream, I'm eating celery. That would be a real test of my will, Lord. But the point is, I know what it means. I know what it means. And I walked myself through the whole thing. And I said, Jesus, I'm a sinner separated from God by my sin. And it's only by your grace that I have the opportunity to be saved. And, and I'm saying that I do believe that you were raised from the dead. I do believe that you are 100% the full payment for my sin. That I don't need to be circumcised. I don't need to do good works. I don't need to do anything. But by faith believe that you were the full payment for my sin. And that you were really dead. And that you were really alive. And I do both of those things. I confess you as Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. Thank you for saving me. If that's not you, then let's have this day be the day because, you see, 1 Corinthians, either chapter 2 or chapter 3, says that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. So when you want to have an argument with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, it's a fool's errand because you're trying to get them to discern something spiritual that they don't have the spirit to help them to discern. There is a special grace that comes from heaven for the un. I'm going to say the wrong word. For, for the unsaved person, because they don't have the, the Spirit, it says in John, either 6 or 8, twice, that nobody comes to Jesus unless they're drawn by the Father. It's an act of grace that happens that you might understand the truth in the absence of the Holy Spirit to show you the truth. But that's the only place where I see that that special grace comes, that you might come to Lord Jesus through the Father by a special grace that he provides you. Other than that, arguing with people about spiritual things is just dumb. I think it's a waste of time. And really all it does is make people mad because they want to argue instead of listen, right? That's a whole different sermon. Back on track. That was, if you wondered what a Dory moment looked like, that was it right there. So maybe you would close your eyes. Except I'm telling you, I'm going to open my eyes. And if you've never made that commitment, or you weren't sure of the sincerity of that commitment. Not that you would be perfect in your ability to walk out the Lordship of Jesus Christ, although I honestly believe that you could, but that your heart was committed to Jesus as Lord. And that by faith, you believe that there is no other payment for the sin that separates you from God. 
It's only the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's only the sacrifice that he made. You can't earn it. It's not by works. It's only by faith and your confession of Jesus as Lord. If you never did it, or if you weren't sure you did it, or if you did it and you wandered away and you want to recommit, then now's the time that you just pick up your head and look at me or pick up your hand and wave at me. Because without that, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, then your ability to discern truth really doesn't exist. Okay. Well, Father, thank you so much. Thank you for bringing souls into your kingdom today. If you're making that confession for...